0: hey everybody this is joshua heston
1: and i'm lisa martin
0: and this is the dark ozarks on the branson podcast network evening hello everybody hello lisa
1: hey josh hope everyone's having a a good night i know it's cold um i think first of all i want to do a shout out for everybody in southeast missouri and northeast arkansas no our our producers not paying attention, who have really come out strong on the page in the last couple of days.
0: Yes, that is a really good point. That, that recent post in regards to Crowley's Ridge, amazing.
1: It is, it really is, and, uh, uh, I mean, just hundreds of responses and, and, uh, comments and so forth, and, uh, we really appreciate it, and, glad to see that you all are enjoying it so thank you and we'll have more coming to highlight you guys so
0: (laughs) absolutely a lot of a lot of research um to be done and uh, which we are incredibly excited to do of course for dark ozarks uh our coverage our coverage potential is the entire ozarks plateau which is massive
1: yeah it is
0: (laughs) And, and, and although it is not part of the Ozarks Mountains, because it is a separate mountain range, uh, the Wachita's in Arkansas and eastern, uh, southeastern Oklahoma are also part of our, our coverage, essentially, places mm-hmm. like Hot Springs, and then, of course, over in the, in the eastern plateau, all the way to St. Louis, and it's exciting. There's a lot there.
1: It is. And and sometimes we get asked, hey, you know, when are you going to cover this or that? And and we end up telling people, you know, it is it's in the queue. And that's part of the reason is that that there's a lot of things that we can talk about. And uh, that makes it fun.
0: It makes Um, it a lot of fun.
2: It
1: does. We did get a request to answer something today. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, our favorite story out of the dark ozarks
0: out of the dark ozarks yes i love getting that question it's hard to pick i i think i have i've at least narrowed it down to two i think
2: okay
1: what two
0: one my my runner-up my my second is the the various stories um associating sometimes playful and sometimes frightening witchcraft with hog skull holler in Arkansas yes I uh I love those stories sometimes they come across as cautionary tales sometimes they come across as fairy tales uh I I just love the idea that this very unique um you know geological feature that was heavily utilized by the settlers of that time to do exactly what it sounds like skull hogs uh also uh inspired this uh this collection of folklore just around the holler that's <clears throat> that is the that's number two number one for me is a a story that was collected by Richard and Judy Dockery Young. It has some very strong Irish overtones to it. And it is the story of a young girl who strays into a cemetery uh, because she's a good daughter doing something that her father asked and <clears throat> is accosted by something that, that seems more akin to the unseelie court of WB Yeats Ireland than it does to our modern day cataloging of ghosts or demons, this thing that crawls out of the grave rests itself on her shoulder, commands her to do horrible things, but then um uh, uh serendipitously because of her wit manages to pull a happy ending out at the end.
1: Yes, I, I always like I love that I love that story too. Um <laughs> let's see. I, I I think I'm gonna jump a little different direction uh maybe a little maybe predictable on my part, but um mm. and perhaps um just lump it into as you so affectionately said last week uh the R- bermuda triangle of the Ozarks. Yeah. um that um just a set of lore in, in the um tri-state uh, mining district that encompasses various um otherworldly elements uh and maybe some not quite so otherworldly but between the spook light, um, cryptid stories, um, and perhaps um, some of the related, quote, hauntings that really aren't hauntings. Those are some of my favorites, too, because we we have several in the area that are notoriously, uh, supposedly notoriously haunted, but aren't, or not in the way legend says, um, such as Hoffman's Mansion and the Witch Road and things like that. Yes. So I, I think that's probably my favorite grouping, and <laughs> I'm like you, yeah, I can't. It's hard to pick one.
0: It is hard to pick one, but the 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 Bermuda Triangle of the Ozarks is, is an incredible space, <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, one of course that that uh, is your backyard, and mm-hmm. uh, I love the opportunity anytime we get the opportunity to to host events or do investigations in that space is always incredible for people who are not familiar it is really the the junction of uh of three states uh kansas oklahoma and missouri and yes indeed that is all part of the ozarks
1: it is um e- even kansas has a little bit of, of the ozarks um and um, which most people really aren't aware of, but it's not very no. big, but it is.
0: <laughs> but it is indeed there. And, <clears throat> and a quick shout out in terms of that, that space uh, also includes Miami, Oklahoma, and on March 12th, Dark Ozarks will be hosting an event at the Coleman Theater in Miami, Oklahoma, and you all are invited.
2: Yes,
1: uh, mysterious four states. It's going to be a day of dark history and legends of of the uh, of the Ozarks region and the four states. Uh, you can go to the Coleman Theaters website for tickets. Uh, there's information on our pages, uh, events with links to get tickets, and uh, we are slowly rolling out more details as as time goes on but we are going to be covering a variety of the topics that we that we uh, are near and dear to our hearts. so come on out we'd love to get you involved so be forewarned
0: so yeah (laughs) but in a in a very positive way we won't yes um and and i really i think that is probably my In addition to the fact of just being able to for us to hang out and be at the Coleman Theater, which is historic haunted and unbelievably beautiful. Mm -hmm. One uh, one of my favorite parts is that interaction we get some of the most amazing uh, input and personal family stories experiences leads research uh, from the the embedded public and I think <clears throat> this is a little bit of a, of off topic on this, but something that we you and I both take very seriously is the fact that we're embedded in the Ozarks, and this is our home. Uh, we care about this history, we care about this culture, we do our best in terms of research, um, but that's not necessarily saying. I mean, we're we're just people too. We're just in this process as well, and. It's really positive to get that one-on-one feedback and so many times uh, things that happen in rural America particularly in the quote-unquote flyover states it gets treated like it's a circus sideshow like we're the the kick hillbillies that you know fell out of the trailer park exactly and it's very important to me it's very important to you and I think it's it it's worth saying that we live here We care about not only the Ozarks themselves, but the people of the Ozarks, because there are people. And it's very important for us to represent uh, your stories in the most respectful way possible. It's It's not gratuitous, it is not sensationalism, it is not making anyone look dumb or feel stupid. This is about us all together as a community, as an Ozarks community, coming together to collect and preserve, and share, and celebrate our culture, which includes our folklore, and includes unexplained phenomena.
1: Exactly, exactly, and so everyone come on out March 12th, and uh, let's have a good time.
0: Absolutely, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, Miami, Oklahoma also has one of my favorite Mexican restaurants in the whole world in it, so it's It's going to be a great time. (laughs) yes (laughs)
1: that's always a good part of the day
0: (laughs) of course for people who know me they know that it's very difficult for me to find a mexican restaurant i don't like so you know it is really good oh so burning of osceola september 1861
2: yes
1: Oh, it's it's one of those one of those events that it's easy to overlook because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, it was a small place. We, you know, it didn't amount to, uh, you know, big troop movements or change of, of, of the uh, fortunes of war type thing too much at that moment. But it really. Um, it it's an interwoven web of people and events that affected a lot of things, particularly in the in the Western um, theater, but had ramifications um, far-flung.
0: They did, <clears throat> they did. And so important to take into consideration, oftentimes when we're doing a cursory review, particularly of civil war history, but war history as a whole, if we don't have some horrifying casualty count, it's easy to dismiss the event.
1: It, it really is, it really is. And often the, the, the uh, effects in history are a lot more um, veiled than just sheer numbers.
0: It, it is, and this is one of those that that lots of things, it happened because of a lot of other things, and then lots and lots of things happened because of it. There's a very interesting series of events that that directly led up to the burning of Osceola. Mm
2: -hmm. Some
0: very interesting personalities that are one of which history has comparatively little memory of, but is a very troubled individual. And then uh, especially interesting to me and a little more than a little heartbreaking is we're now so many years past the Civil War. This is an event that took place in 1861, um, and and to this day, Osceola, Missouri, is still feeling the effects of what happened on the night of September 21st, 1861.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, it, the the town never recovered per se. Um, <clears throat> anyone that's familiar with Osceola now knows. You know, it's it's a sleepy little hollow. So, to speak, if you want to use the colloquial term, uh, along the river, uh, less than a thousand people. Um, mm-hmm. if you drive through, you might not really imagine that, um, significant events happened there, or that at one time it was the most important business center in uh, mm-hmm. southwest Missouri. Um, yes, uh arguably more than Springfield. And perhaps Mm -hmm. if it had not been burned, um, the geography of that part of the state maybe might've been vastly different.
0: Vastly different. Um, You know, setting the stage a little bit, Osceola prior to the burning uh, had over a population of over Mm 3,000. It was a steamboat port which Mm -hmm. I think is 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 incredible to wrap your head around Um, that there were were steamboats from New Orleans plying the Osage coming up having to come up the uh, the Mississippi up the Missouri then up the Osage
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: to unload supplies Uh, over 800 buildings in in the town and this was a commercial trading hub that that serviced not only Southwest Missouri, but Northwest Arkansas, and mm-hmm. in into Oklahoma, likely Kansas as well, which may to really have rankled a certain individual by the name of Lane. Uh, <laughs> and and you know today, the the town I think has a standing population of around three hundred. This was a town that had three thousand in very early. Uh, settlement days
2: mm-hmm.
0: of the 1860s in absolutely incredible and heartbreaking when you when you also realize that by the time um the kansas guard got done not only were they drunk um but i think there were three buildings left standing of the 800
1: yeah uh that's that that's the the number that's usually given is is three <laughs> left standing um and i'm you know um I'm not sure that there's 800 buildings there now. To be perfectly honest, um, and so you think, how did this happen? And then, then you think, well, how important was it? Well, uh, the the townspeople, some of them had gotten word that Lane and his men were coming, and they they actually got the money out of the bank and so forth, and which was over 150 thousand dollars and. 1861 which is incredible amount of money
0: (laughs) it would have been millions Uh, today
1: hundreds of millions Mm -hmm. and uh today and so when you think about it that i mean that 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 kind of puts in perspective and and uh, a grab on that money was one of blaine's primary goals to to yes his um his um uh, operations and,
2: and
1: didn't get
2: it. And but, did not get it.
1: But maybe we should backtrack as to maybe how um how we got got to mm. him raiding Missouri.
0: <laughs> um, so many moving moving parts. I I think realistically <clears throat> to tell this story properly we really need to go back to 1854 uh, with yeah. the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Um, yeah. You're going to be a lot better at explaining the Kansas-Nebraska Act than I am, other than <laughs> um, it was ugly and people started pouring in to try to push Kansas either into, uh, as a, it, get Kansas entered as either a slave state or a, uh, a slavery free state.
1: Right. And I, I think one thing people may not understand is that prior to statehood, uh, slavery was uh was legal in the territory. So it, I mean, slavery was legal in Kansas and Nebraska at that point. And um due to the Missouri Compromise in 1821, um they they tried to they were maintaining the balance of power between southern and northern states. And um but the kansas nebraska issue really came down more to the railroads um who was going to um win and where was the hub for the transcontinental railroad going to be they knew it would be coming eventually and um so abolitionists uh sent in people they they recruited people you know go get land in kansas um to uh, build up the numbers there. Uh, Nebraska really wasn't an issue because of the, the nature of the, the land and so forth. There really weren't that many slaveholders there. So Kansas was the area that they were trying to make sure that they had an edge in no matter what happened with the railroad. So um, as, as this happened, you had people like John Brown coming in uh, who were fervent abolitionists, and instead of peaceful means, uh, eventually turned to violence, um, Potawatomi and Osawatomie, and so forth, uh, in about 1856. And so you started having bloodshed, and Lane, Jim Lane, who at that time was a colonel in the federal army, uh, stationed in Kansas, um, later to become senator, um, decided to, you know, kind of intervene and so forth. And he started um, routing um, slaveholders and um, but it quickly turned into just pure looting on his part. Um, unfortunately, um, there wasn't a tight... Uh, rain on his operations at that time uh by washington i think people started figuring out what was going on but events kind of morphed um and um so i'm going to flip to the end for just a second we sort of know the sort of the end of that uh, of the major story is the burning of lawrence uh yeah. and quantrell going after uh, basically revenge for everything that uh, Lane had done, including the the burning of Osceola. Um, But it may have started sooner than that, Uh, sort of the impetus that um, may have ticked off Lane's less than level-headed personality.
0: Yes. Uh, I think it's really interesting to do sort of a point counterpoint between Lane and Quantrell. Mm -hmm. Now, Quantrell is certainly for the Missouri-Kansas bloodshed and through the war in this region. Quantrell is largely a household name. Jim Lane is not. Right. Uh, but of course, the the victors write the history. And so Quantrell, Quantrell just is an incredibly interesting person. Tell us a little bit more. I'm not well versed enough on Contrell to dive no. into his bio.
1: Well, I mean, not a whole lot's known uh, about his early life details. But in about 1857, his older brother had been living in Kansas and enticed him to to, to come to ta- to come to Kansas, and uh, uh, they were they were ranching or farming, and they decided to to go out to California. And so they had loaded up a wagon and were headed out. Uh, they got to the Cottonwood River and actually got ambushed by some of Jim Lane's men. And
0: what, and, what was, what was, what was the, the, the federal troop involvement in that? Why were they, why were they after him?
1: Uh, well, Jim Lane was just kind of doing his own thing.
2: <laughs>
1: okay.
0: That's
2: true.
1: And um and they they did have uh they did have a slave uh with them, and so that was the that was sort of the impetus they they uh repatriated the slave um uh and then basically killed uh Pontrell's older brother and yes. destroyed everything you know all their belongings and took their money, et cetera left uh, Quantrell to die. Um, uh, He'd been shot badly. And so he laid there for days, three days uh, with his brother's body. And then a a Shawnee Indian came by and um, rescued him and, and nursed him back to health. And about six months later, um, instead you know he was back on his feet and instead of either going back to the ranch or going on out to California he went to Lawrence and joined Lane's men under an alias Charles Hart yeah. became a confidant of Lane's um, and he gained his trust and then over the next years proceeded to execute the eight men that had killed his brother Um, And then once all of them were dead, he revealed his true identity to Lane. And by this point, the war had started.
2: It was 1861. And he basically kind of gave him the ended death at oceola
0: this is it's such first of all it should be a movie
1: it really should that part i mean we we there's movies about the burning of Lawrence, but i mean just just all of those facts would be fantastic
0: it would and <clears throat> second of all what and this is not to um excuse quantrell's later choices right at all i want to be really clear that i'm not saying that <clears throat> however um being shot left for dead next to the body of your brother for 3 days mm-hmm. would be enough to unhinge anybody and yeah. i think it's an incredible testament just to the the tenacity of some of these men quantrell mm-hmm. included that i mean realistically most people today would roll over and die not only did he not ultimately not only was he tough enough to survive but then to put together a revenge plan that worked
1: yes (laughs) good time
0: it's it is absolutely fascinating so now there's there's other um other elements let's let's talk setting the stage a little bit um
2: Humble. jim lane
0: oh, jim, jim lane, lane jim lane is such an interesting character
2: yeah
0: um <clears throat> that there's a number of of interesting quotes about jim lane <laughs> um he was he was known as the grim chieftain and i'm wondering if he didn't write that one himself
1: would not surprise me
0: uh he was said he it was that he said that his sole purpose was to play hell with missouri Uh, He said, Missourians are wolves, snakes, devils, and damn their souls. I want to see them cast into a burning hell. We believe in a war of extermination. I want to see every foot of ground in Jackson, Cass, and Bates counties burned over and everything laid to waste. That is a quote attributed to this man. Mm -hmm. Um, He was originally uh, Mm pro-slavery and moved into... Uh, kansas uh in 1855 as an opportunistic um politician Mm -hmm. and joined the abolitionists yep uh he was described as violent paranoid and highly unbalanced uh one one press report uh characterized him as eel shaped and exceedingly homely uh, and another contemporary described him as an evil looking creature with the sad, dim eyed, bad toothed face of a harlot. That's a quote.
1: <laughs> <coughs> I, I want to inter- interject right there, too. When we talk about his his personality there, um, that Quantrell, on the other hand, was no, although for at times it's seen seemingly. Um, violent he was also known to be very calm collected and rational very calculating so where lane sort of you know kind of goes off on tangents and off the wall quantrell actually was the the um, one that had the mind that you would assume for the the leader role um yes so uh so in that part in that point they were very opposed personality
0: wise as well very much so and in in modern storytelling if you were going to cast one as the hero and one as the villain in this particular just with that that those data points lane would be the villain and Mm -hmm. quantrell would have been the hero i'm not saying that he was but i'm saying that that is exactly how our modern emotional interpretation would have placed it. Yep. And on, you know, that on that night, uh, September 21st of, of 1861, um, the really this crown jewel of commerce, this hub of commerce, you know, lying there, uh, essentially unprotected, on the Osage River, and we have what could be considered basically a psychopath in charge of 1500 men with four cannons coming down with around 200 or fewer um, uh, men to protect Osceola and the the short version is they simply were not able to protect the town
1: exactly um and we have that framework. Now should now should we back up and say, okay, now now what, what what is the other impetus and the other um trigger that sent Lane across the border?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. And I, I knowingly, I i just from what I've been able to research at this point, I'd say Lane, not so much reason but excuse uh yeah. to make a name for himself and probably walk off with, you know, a couple the equivalent of a couple hundred million dollars of currency which he did not get to do exactly uh, but nonetheless there were a series of events uh leading up to this uh beginning with a john matthews mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, and really a very small number of men uh converging on humboldt kansas yep in uh in september 9th of 1861 so just shortly before The the burning of Oklahoma and and of course there's some some very interesting players involved in (laughs) uh, in this particular event uh, surrounding Humboldt both before and after the burning of Osceola.
1: Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, I mean this is a couple weeks before, Um, and Matthews had been ranging already and um, causing a lot of trouble um, for the federal um, elements in Kansas and um, abolitionists uh, had concerns. Um, And they converged on Humboldt, one, two, because it was a union stronghold and sympathizers and looking for money Uh, and particularly one particular man, John Gilmore, (laughs) <laughs> um which um and i find it interesting Matt, Matthew. <laughs> all disclosure matthews was writing with uh tom livingston out of uh, jasper county missouri Yeah, uh distantly related to me yep.
2: um,
1: and um that i still own the property that he owned um <laughs> and um again you know the things that don't come off on war reports part of this was Gilmore had sort of absconded from a joint business with Tom Livingston including the money and had gone to Humboldt to in his view stay out of trouble uh, avoid trouble uh but hiding the money basically yeah and so, uh, Matthews got Livingston to go with him, with uh, 125 men or so, and basically surrounded the town. Ironically, yeah. though, they 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 purposely did they didn't kill they weren't there killing people or you know initially. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> it is <clears throat> watching the the tenor. Of these events to me is so incredibly interesting, and mm-hmm. the parties involved, um, and and these are are parties and alliances that uh, really uh, have a tendency to uh, conflict with modern sensibilities. Yes, uh, and and it's you know the 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 messiness of history. Uh, our Dark Ozark's tagline, "Sometimes there are no easy answers," really hits home in the border mm-hmm. wars. And you know, before it, and I love it. I love it because you have to, you have to come down to the individual and to their motivations and their personal reasonings. Mm-hmm. In this, you can, in these issues, you cannot paint with a broad brush. No. And there and and say, oh, this group of people is going to do this because of our modern or contemporary sensibilities, because they don't. They just they just don't.
1: No, they don't. I mean, and, and this is a good example because it's easy to it's easy to look at Livingston in this regard and say, man, that you know <laughs> he should have just avoided that and it was a personal vendetta, etc. This is the same um guerrilla leader who then um later um would parlay with uh union uh officers trying to get uh, agreements to uh leave civilians alone so you know so you have you have you have very much a dichotomy uh with a lot of these guys that you know you know, on Monday they're doing this. On Thursday they're doing this. And, and if you yeah. look look at those things, it, it may not make sense. But uh, yeah. th- there there's a complicated involvement between all these people.
0: There are, and I think is is at times if you dig into it, especially when you understand the context of the individual, that their decisions make sense mm-hmm. once you're there. Uh, mm-hmm. Not ne- necessarily that we agree with them, but they make sense in that moment. Right. In some cases, I think that in the case, jumping back Jim Lane, who I'm absolutely fascinated by, including his photo, is that he's just a raving psychopath. Uh, but that's yeah, just...
1: That's, that's <laughs> probably, uh, you know, I mean... Today, I'm sure he probably would be labeled as a psychopath. <laughs> uh,
0: now, for the record, uh, before I like utterly sully history on Dark Ozarks, I'm going to say that's just my current opinion. Um, <laughs> but this, so there is, you know, there is that element. But at the same time, <clears throat> we see, you know, so, some very interesting alliances. Um, you know, John Matthews, who really led the way on this initial... Uh, mm-hmm. raid on uh, on Humboldt, Kansas, um, and is ostensibly identified with the Confederacy. Was married to an Osage woman, and mm-hmm. he had been enlisted by Ben McCulloch to, uh you know, recruit uh, Osage, Quapaw, and Cherokee into the Confederacy to fight for the Confederacy. And he was actually mm-hmm. quite successful at it.
1: Yeah, and and in those units. Um were uh, involved in a lot of battles and skirmishes and uh, played into um, a lot of the raiding of supply trains, the Union supply yes. trains uh, between Fort Gibson and Fort Scott, et cetera.
0: And, you know, we have, we have quotes by Jim Brown, um, associate of Jim Brown, not Jim Brown, uh, Indian agent Augustus Waddles, that in his quote and this is an abolitionist uh mm-hmm. who would be associated with sort of the the upstanding New England abolitionist movement in essence um making really deprecatory statements against uh the Cherokee
2: mm-hmm. as
0: they're as they're fighting um on the side in this case of the confederacy mm-hmm. and and then you know before we get too upset about that you have to realize that the the Cherokee had a vendetta against the federal government for really good reasons beginning Mm -hmm. in 1838.
1: That's true. But then there were also other Cherokee that uh, actually fought in union units as well. I mean, um, and so- uh, And many Osage. Yes, and and to be perfectly fair, uh, again, sort of these personal issues you have to look at, is that a lot of the, a lot of the indians they they just took a, a a guess of who they thought was going to win and that's who they aligned with so
2: um, yes.
1: so you did have battles where say cherokee were fighting against cherokee and so on and so mm-hmm. forth and it it just happened
0: it did now we have the kansas newspapers reporting Matthews as an outlaw
2: mhm
0: um at least 16 settlers had been killed in southeast Kansas during this process uh and then Humboldt is raided in in what is is actually a a pretty uh genteel raid so to speak
1: yeah especially compared to (laughs) Osceola
0: very much so very very much so and coming back to uh Tom Livingston and his Jasper Raiders uh tell me more and of course he lives at French point yes which has particular significance
1: well yeah it does for me because i own it um yes yeah. <laughs> but um he 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 was a businessman uh he was a miner he uh owned um mines in minersville which is now ornogo missouri um uh, he opened the first pit mine there that became Ornogo Circle, which was at one point the largest pit mine in the world. Um, when um, actually, when um, Siegel uh, was marching to uh, the Battle of Carthage and Livingston heard that they were coming, uh, he dumped 10,000 pounds of lead out of the smelter into Center Creek so that uh, the Union Army couldn't get his lead. Um, and. A counselor that it was never retrieved um he uh had trading posts at french point as well as in india territory as well as in kansas uh, where he was partners with gilmore um and then um also had interests in in the granby mines uh and saloons um actually in granby at one point one of the tut brothers um uh, one of davis tut's brothers uh threatened to kill him and um the, the story goes that uh, uh, Tom Livingston uh, beat him with his bare hands instead of using a gun. So um, this, this was the sort of fellow that he
2: was.
0: <laughs> I like it. And it's <clears throat> just having that, to me, I think it's phenomenal and wonderful having that family connection directly coming back in in terms of of lineage and then and then the the farm as well
1: Mm -hmm. and and later in 1863 there was a six-day battle at at French Point
0: do we know uh, sort of location I I don't but location of home buildings outbuildings trading post etc yes okay I'm I'm excited to make it out there soon
1: yes yes you you do need to
0: yeah it's uh and and i think it's so so deeply illustrative of the history that one can drive by and never know it
1: well and that's that's one thing there is that you can't really drive by it and so it's it's been preserved
0: yes and i think that is is great so this happened uh and there's there's a there's a great uh, sort of anecdotal story of of an individual in Humboldt who is sitting down for supper uh, when the raid takes place where they realize that they don't have enough men to protect against the raiders so he invites the raiders which apparently included Tom Livingston to come in and have supper with him they do and then they end up sparing his home
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so you know again you know it it, it... all all of those, all of those little factors affect what would happen, and that, not just in the case of Humboldt, but throughout the war, and um, there's so many stories like that, you know, um, that get, don't get told in the bigger picture.
0: They do not. Now, the, uh, the, the raid on Humboldt is what initiated uh the kansas brigade and jim lane Mm -hmm. brigadier general jim lane to march uh against the encroaching forces uh quote unquote or against the raiders they ultimately uh find matthews in 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 an attack and attack the encampment and kill him
1: yes uh yeah he's he's killed um and um basically that ends a lot of the uh the confederate raiding into kansas um uh after that point so
0: yes and but it was at that point with the the death of of matthews the general lane takes his 1500 men and marches into missouri
1: yes Uh, and heads pretty well straight to osceola
0: (laughs) yes and uh uh is has has a handful of skirmishes along the way Mm -hmm. that mm, somewhat mixed results but we do see sort of the personality of lane coming through uh seven confederate soldiers that are captured Uh, rather than than take them as prisoners of war he forces them to dig dig their own graves and then has them has them summarily executed
1: yes yes Uh, i mean and 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 it's disturbing well it's disturbing regardless but it's disturbing when you think about how early in the war it is yeah that he's resorting to something like this i mean this is not a situation where perhaps he's been in battle for three or four years and you know it's taken a toll this is sort of his you know out of the shoot approach
2: yeah
0: yeah right out of the gate uh Mm -hmm. let's just start committing war crimes shall we
2: yeah
0: it is it is very very interesting and of course i'm open to the possibility that there are explanations and perhaps history is remembering this person poorly Mm -hmm. um but certainly, with the information that we have at hand, not so much.
1: Well, I mean, it's one of those things that you know it's easy to say, you know, in retrospect. Well, perhaps you know he 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 was fighting on the winning side, and 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 slavery is not a good thing. Um, but yes, again, this is if if you look at it in versus um, a means to the end type analysis. Um, he very very easily would opt for um, tactics that were over the top excessively violent um and often more than really was needed in the situation
0: yes and and this just seems to escalate um uh, records seem to indicate at each point lane becoming furious about something and then ordering in some form or another a type of over-the-top retribution
1: yes yes again i, th- I think it kind of goes back to that personality issue that he he just he, he he did not i hate to say just was unstable but he probably was uh, at some level but certainly a hothead Uh, at at a minimum, Um, whereas Quantrell, as we talked about earlier, was known for the exact opposite, although history remembers him as being the hothead.
0: Yes, which is very, very interesting. Now, following the devastation at Osceola, and in the broader picture of what's going on, um The Missouri Home Guard and Confederate forces had lost at the Battle of Lexington. That's my understanding, mm-hmm. and Sterling was retreating uh southwest mm-hmm. during this process. So there was a lot of troop movements going on um throughout this entire time.
1: Right. I mean, th- this is this is you know maybe what six weeks after Wilson's Creek, um, mm-hmm. and so um yeah price had gone north and then was coming back and uh things were things were in flux. i guess is a good way of putting it you know and um to be perfectly honest i think that um you know strategically you could say well lane went for osceola because it was the river port mm-hmm. um but to be perfectly honest, you know, all the anecdotal evidence would indicate in his hate in the behavior of his troops and everything when, once they were there was that the money was the ultimate goal.
0: And I think that is that is reasonable. Of course, there's a number of possible points, um, and I I think all of them are interesting to throw into the pot. Um, uh, historian, uh, Osceola historian Richard Sunderworth says that Lane targeted Osceola as it was the home of a political foe who was Missouri Senator Waldo P. Johnson. I think that is an interesting mm-hmm. possibility.
1: Certainly, I mean, and certainly considering his political ambitions, it certainly yeah. is not out of the realm of possibility.
0: That uh, uh, Jay Monahan. Uh, says that Lane's intent was to liberate slaves and squelch pro-slavery Missouri's plan for secession, which I think is being a, a little high-minded considering Lane's instability.
1: Well, yeah, but he did have a history of liberating slaves. I mean, even yes. as far back as, as the encounter with Huntrell's <coughs> brother. So yeah. you, you did have that factor, but... Um, it's hard it's hard to know what what was the if it was a a tool for other things or
0: mm-hmm. who knows there was there was <clears throat> a really interesting um side point and i'm i'm gonna gonna go off of <clears throat> basically like like for full disclosure i'm just not going to give um lane pretty much any benefit of the doubt i'm just like
2: yeah. and,
0: and i may change that later uh but this is just where i am based on the content he's that we looked at.
1: he's a hard person to like let's he's a, <laughs> yes
0: very very hard person uh, the fact that it appears that he he actually began as pro-slavery until it was opportunistically good yes. for him to be an abolitionist
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the idea that in this <clears throat> in this era uh that i think that there's a there's a very interesting and dark side to this this concept with the old west uh or the frontier which of course Mm -hmm. was a constantly moving target through the 19th century um that you you went to the frontier you went to the west Mm uh to lose yourself or to remake yourself that that there's things you were getting away from, and you could become a new person. Mm-hmm. And it, it appears that that Lane went to Kansas and reinvented himself as an abolitionist um, for financial gain. And yeah. there's a there's a, um, <clears throat> um, a a reference that in 1856 he gave a fundraising speech in Chicago on behalf of abolitionists, and he was so passionate in his oratory that uh, he raised uh, $15,000, which is over $400,000 in today's uh, currency, and came back, quote, the unchallenged leader of the Kansas Free Soilers. If you're already a sociopathic or unhinged individual, and you have this kind of money behind you, um, it, it really... Begins to call into question the motives and the fact that Osceola was the richest town around. Yeah. really, just starts fitting into that, and and the idea that that uh, you know neutrality or slavery or Confederacy or secession or Union or federal aside, that that the potential of this what appears to be a sociopathic, uh, money hungry and unstable individual. Uh, mm-hmm. Destroying this this beautiful town uh, because he expects to walk away with hundreds of millions of dollars and and be sanctioned by the federal government for it is pretty right. horrifying.
2: It, it
1: really is. Um, it, maniacal is the uh, the yes. word that comes to mind, to be perfectly honest. But um, but you know it's it's pretty clear when you when you read accounts that he really thought he he could do whatever he wanted to Kansas yes Uh, and that um i it seems that as time went on that he very much enjoyed the the frills of having money behind him and realized that he could expand his sort of his pseudo military operations and i say pseudo military because they um it was whatever he decided to do, basically.
0: Yes, until the federal government started reining him in and not giving him commands anymore.
1: Yeah, finally, yeah, it, it became apparent when <laughs> that this was a problem and that he was he was the problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was the problem. And, and, and interestingly, the the burning of OsCLola seems to be the larger turning point for that chain of command to take notice of that instability.
1: It seemed to at that point they started seeming to to do that and and uh, and uh, try to make changes, you know. But then um, sort of the sort of the flip side is then um, you know two years later you you have Contrail going into Kansas and burning Lawrence, and <clears throat> um, you know there are different reasons for it. that have been articulated but one and one that was espoused by a lot of his men was retaliation for Osceola.
0: Yes and and interestingly enough uh Jim Lane was actually in Lawrence during the raid.
1: Well yes and and, and there's a lot there's a lot of um anecdotal evidence that um uh Contrell timed it when he did for that reason
0: and and because
1: what is there, a, <laughs> which kind of goes back to maybe that that personal blood feud that went back
0: years <clears throat> uh yeah um uh, years and years of of that and i think it really speaks potentially to the the calculating nature and probably brilliance the brilliant mind of mm-hmm. Quantrell.
1: yeah i mean and that's the thing and that that's one thing that is, is said over and over uh, by people who met quantrell was that he really was highly intelligent, very gifted strategy wise and very prudent. Um, And um, it actually wasn't until after Lawrence and they were coming back into Missouri um, and a lot of his lieutenants were pretty still riled up um, after Lawrence and they got to Baxter Springs kansas and um came across fort blair which at the time it's it was a log stockade kind of small fort um and not much around it um and uh bloody bill anderson and some of the other lieutenants wanted to basically burn it to the ground um and uh uh Quantrell was like, no, it's not worth it. Um he he felt they there was more risk of taking casualties than than anything that would be gained. And he so he he said no. And it was kind of at that point uh some of the lieutenants um disagreed with his decision to do that because they were at a point that they were they were being more ruthless and more emotional, more like Lane um and then they went then they went on south and uh it was kind of shortly after that that things started kind of falling apart with all of them
0: yeah and it's <clears throat> again all of these these varying facets and factors playing into this now um <clears throat> the uh the situation well i think coming back we we say that there's no justice, you know, but uh, Jim Lane had a very interesting end.
1: Yeah, you, you want to go to that? I don't know <laughs> as much. I, I don't know a lot of detail on, on him. Um,
0: I, I, I think to me, it would just be interesting. I've got a couple of different reports in terms of the nuance of it, but in essence, his, uh, following the burning of Osceola, um, I've got a great quote uh, from General Halleck, Henry Halleck was the commander of the Department of Missouri, and after the burning of Osceola, said, "Quote: The course pursued by those under Lane has turned against us. Many thousands who were formerly Union men; a few more raids will make the state unanimous against us." Mm-hmm. And as a point of comparison, it did not. Uh, Missouri sent uh, around 109,000 troops to fight in the Union, but 30,000 joined the Confederacy. Yeah and and,
1: if it had continued that may have been different
0: (laughs) yes and Lane um his his rise to power uh really began to diminish his Mm -hmm. his star really began to fall after Osceola and Mm -hmm. his political power continued to decline and so it wasn't too many years later uh after the war that he took his carriage out, visited his sister, uh, said goodbye to them, stepped out of the carriage and shot himself in the mouth.
1: That's right. I, I do remember that he he did kill himself. I didn't remember the circumstances, but yes. Um, and which again kind of goes back to maybe that instability issue, but um, but certainly um, he, his own actions kind of uh, made things worse for his own future and so yeah you have to wonder at some point if he he decided maybe he shouldn't have done that
0: (laughs) and this is just the uh the the romantic celt in me but i i can't help but start imagining that the uh um the ghosts of everyone who had died wrongly at his hands um, had started following him around.
1: I mean it's it's entirely possible you know I mean that's you know that's what they say happened to Al Capone.
0: Which is you know eerie and mm-hmm. uh, I like it.
1: <laughs> I do too it's uh, uh, rather karmic you know.
0: <laughs> it is and and you know I think <clears throat> of course I'm purely going off of of the speculation at this point so we we've, we've, we're no longer talking about history but there is this this sense sort of this rational sense that when atrocities are committed that you know unless the living somehow managed to do something uh that that no justice really takes place
1: oh i don't know i think sometimes the dead really can't exact their own revenge
0: I I suspect that it may very well be the case, and you know, of course, we we have a number of of, of fictions in that regard. But sometimes personal stories, anecdotal stories, strange coincidences, uh, all speak into this. I don't know if we have any answers on this. Of course, we want to get up uh, to Osceola and the surrounding areas soon in regards to all mm-hmm. the history. Um, do we have any particular um paranormal stories uh from that region
1: uh not not right there not not too too far away actually um um is is a story of a headless uh phantom headless Mm -hmm. soldier from the uh from the war um that that supposedly uh, rides the roads um and i'm i'm trying to try to imagine the map but i i'm thinking that's probably about 20 25 miles away mm-hmm. um now some other things um there interesting thing there um is one of the younger brothers um is buried very close to osceola was was killed and and buried there um, and of course, um, um, at different points, um, Quantrell and his men, after the burning, they would actually hole up at Osceola because they were protected um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: by locals, and so um, you you had all of them and the, the James brothers and the younger brothers going through there and um, so one of them's buried nearby. Um, There is a tale that um, after the war that the uh, James brothers had um, robbed a bank on the Kansas side and were riding back through and being uh, followed and that they basically dumped the money in the river at Oceolo.
0: Okay. Very interesting. <clears throat> now, for people who not, might not be familiar, uh, the Osage River is no longer navigable um, because of the impoundments.
1: Right, and um, and and this is in in the confluence of of the Osage and the and the Sac River is just, you know, a few miles out of town, and and that's actually where the a uh, uh, Price's encampment was for um, recruiting. And 12, 000, over 12,000 men actually ended up there and, wow. and, um, and mustering into the Confederate Army.
0: And the Confederate
1: so we're, Army. Right, 30,000 right. men um, fought for the Confederacy in Missouri, 12,000 signed up right outside Osceola. <laughs> and that encampment, Price's encampment, was there well, at the time that Lane burned Osceola yes we mentioned that on instagram but i don't think we mentioned it over here so right. um, you know um I, I i can imagine that that would feed lane's ego too that he he kind of did that under their nose
0: yes <clears throat> and it's it's my understanding that um general fremont actually that the orders handed down to lane were to pursue price's force as they were retreating from lexington and that uh, Lane detached a smaller force, told them to go do that, and he proceeded to target communities, and specifically Osceola as a rich community.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, which
1: which would indicate that his that his um, uh, his main goal, his own main goal, was plundering, not not uh, yeah. military.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh you know you could <laughs> modern day pirate
1: pretty much i mean i mean that's um, that that pretty much is is a uh, a good explanation i think one thing a lot of people may not understand too is that um the role of a lot of what we would call bushwhackers in in, in the war out here were actually partisan rangers um there were more on the Confederate side, but there were cars and rangers on both sides. And when you say pirate, it that is exactly what they were. They they had uh, they were privateers basically, the same as um, privateers um, in the fifteen hundreds. You know, uh, raiding ships you know <coughs> of the other countries. Um, yep. They had papers from one side or the other saying you know you have our permission to basically. They'll cause trouble for the other side. So yes. he, piracy really was, you know, a, a good analogy except for that lane was doing it as an official officer.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. And with uh comparatively speaking for the the regent and the the early date in the war, a lot of men behind him 1500 men
1: that that was, that was a that was a large force. Um I mean there there have been larger forces um you know at, at you know Carthage and, and Wilson's Creek, but basically just as a raiding party, basically, and then to follow Price. Uh it, yeah. it was a large a large party.
0: I think in, in terms of point counterpoint, uh on on one hand, the burning of Osceola could not have been a more powerful recruiting tool for the confederacy
1: no no it it really uh-huh. is i mean it, they you you have to wonder if, if that hadn't happened if uh c- confederate uh, resistance would have crumbled um
2: faster and, in the area.
0: and it might have um or or at least the the <clears throat> I think it's safe to say that it really set the stage for guerrilla warfare and for the on-the-ground on the fighting. Uh, there's an interesting quote uh, about the Burning Osceola that it also sent a really clear message across Missouri to, to communities with Confederate leanings that the Confederate Army, in this case, the Missouri Home Guard and Sterling Price weren't, wasn't, wasn't capable of protecting them from the federals and so as a result if you were going to protect your home you're going to have to do it yourself
1: yes yes i th- I think it did clearly send that message and then there and then it was followed by similar um uh similar events when um um uh, when um the union uh, ambushed um Bushwhacker, Bushwhackers or Parson Rangers in Vernon County, uh, which then uh, created retaliation with the uh, at Stockton and then uh, Shelby burning Greenfield and Stockton, et cetera.
0: Yeah and it, <clears throat> all of this again begins to really speak into the the larger context of the tragedy of war within mm-hmm. southwest Missouri.
1: It, it it really does. And and the, the, the civilians really um suffered and not and not to say the civilians suffered at, at Lawrence too. Um uh, people lost everything they owned, they often were starving, um uh, depopulation in this yeah. area, um but, you know people of both both leanings, you know, they left. Um and it, it basically, you, you can really trace uh, back to Osceola um, the need for um, or the impetus for the General Order Eleven, which um, later in the war was issued to uh, clear out the guerrillas um, yeah. and required the o- Oath of Allegiance. Um, and any able-bodied man who did not do so was made a, a prisoner of war. <clears throat>
0: in you know in terms of it's funny but it's not funny there's a there's a great anecdotal oral uh, history uh, recorded regarding Harry Truman who of course grew up in Independence uh, Mm -hmm. Missouri and and was originally from Lamar and his the Truman family uh, was uh, subjugated by order 11. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and there's, uh, I'm referencing uh, the oral autobiography of Harry Truman by Merle Miller, was published in the 60s, I think, and there's a great reference that Truman um, goes home to his mom during his presidency, and his mom won't talk to him, and he finally says why, and she says, I saw you laying that wreath at the Lincoln Memorial
1: (laughs) well and that's the thing is that I I think a lot of people it's it's ironic when people talk about uh Missouri being cliquish and people moving in and it being hard to to get to know people and to be accepted uh and you know show me the show me mm-hmm. uh a lot of that really comes out of that time period um uh, because everything that happened in the war really burned into the psyche of, of people and it, it seems like um those that remained and those that even those that left and some that came back later that stuck with uh, them and so uh, it's easy to say why was she so fit to say it on that you know 80 years later or whatever Yes. Um, but it really it really affected people and it, I, yeah. I i think i think it still shows up in that clickishness, that in that insular attitude that you <clears throat> often encounter
0: it is that sense and and i don't think it's a bad thing i think it's important to no. understand but is that sense that Before we welcome you with trust, you damn well better prove it.
1: Exactly. I want. I want to. I want to know what terms I'm on. And and I think that's really came out of that time period because so many things happened that people, you know, you didn't know or you knew exactly who was betraying you.
0: Um,
1: Yeah. And that often happens. So. but and that that's one of those examples as you said of all of this still affecting things today, uh, and it's it's just in the general um, temperament and character of 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 the state and the and the people.
0: It is, it is, and I think very important for for folks to understand and respect. I think yes. that's this is not something that we're we're advocating change on. It is what it is and you either you either learn to play by these historic contextual and cultural rules or there's lots of other places in the united states to go play
1: but i i do understand why some people are perplexed by it you know if you don't understand the context
0: if you don't yeah i think that is that is extremely fair and maybe as a as a last note this is completely an aside but there are some great murals Uh, long-standing murals painted in the late 60s early 70s by George Kiefer at Silver Dollar City Um, and the the the, some of my favorite art um, just across the board but there's there's one that it's it's a fire in the hole for people who are familiar with with uh, you know where I'm going with this
2: Um, (laughs) familiar
0: (laughs) with with Silver Dollar City and it's the Bald Knobbers burning a town and Mm -hmm there's uh um you know there's there's a whole sort of contemporary pseudo-folkloric mythology in in uh, the ride it's a it's a indoor roller coaster it's been around forever it's one of the longest standing rides on the park um for people who might not be familiar with it and but as you start digging at history it can be a little perplexing because the Baldnabra Vigilantes never burned a town right and there's there's some pretty strong indicators that for this particular fiction this is actually the uh the conflation of the Baldnabra Vigilantes with the burning of Osceola
1: yes yes um specifically Osceola but also other towns I mean a lot of quite a few towns got burned uh but that was one of the most prominent but um Mm -hmm. and And it makes sense you know that that's how things have kind of commingled over time i mean it's no different than than their um artistic license with alf at yes
0: so yeah uh murderous psychopathic teenager um that uh, never robbed a train because there were no trains down here uh trains trains would not show up for another 50 years in taney county yeah but at the same time it gets uh co and uh you ride the train and the train gets playfully robbed by alfie and ralphie bolan there was no ralphie bolan mm. and but <clears throat> i like it for people that might turn up their nose at that retelling of history i think retelling of history is better than no telling at all
1: well i do too and 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 they're still telling they're still telling themes that um uh took place yes. uh, in different contests and but it is literary license and but that's no different than any other movie or book that interprets things um if we you know you could anything that is based on something in the past um can be retold and for a purpose of illustration of whatever purpose
0: it is and sometimes for fun of course you know and and you have to understand i mean silver dollar city as a theme park has been there since 1960 and the purpose of the theme park is just is to have fun through the lens of ozark's culture and you know this it's not a museum it's not it's not a library I do wonder, and I'm, I'm going to throw this out here because I thought of it, oftentimes, especially with the Celts and other peoples, we talk about ancestral memory or genetic memory, the mm-hmm. idea that, that certain things resonate. What do you think of the idea that the intensity of the events of the Civil War in Missouri and <clears throat> uh, the intensity of events immediately following in the 1870s and 80s mm-hmm. had such a resonance even if it wasn't specifically talked about or spoken that it was passed down in various ways so that say when a missouri missouri audience even if it was a teenager or child or you know a a younger person who might not be familiar with say the burning of osceola or the bald knobbers walked in and saw those george Kiefer murals that there was something that resonated.
1: I, I think so, particularly, you have to understand too is, is it's like the example you gave with Truman and his mother the you know those children grew up hearing stories um, mm-hmm. and you know i've I've told you i've I've had conversations with um elderly judge who you know his his grandfather and and his grandfather's friends um were uh, defenders at Stockton, and so he grew up hearing. Things that some of the history books say didn't happen. Yes. You know, and to be perfectly honest, when you look at it, who do you believe—the people who were there, or what the history books say? I know. So it's a good example. Those those kids—they've heard things, even if it wasn't fat-specific or or something, but contextually rings a bell.
0: Yes. And, I, and think I think that,
1: that
0: happens is, a lot. I, I do too. And, and it, you know I, I think just speaking out to viewers as a whole, if you have those moments where you step into a space and it feels strangely familiar, but you've never been there, or mm-hmm. uh, a piece of art or a bit of literature or something that just in some way resonates and you can't put your finger on it, that's usually a pretty good flag that there's something there.
1: Yeah there there's something there some sort of connection somewhere. I think and that's very fair to say.
0: I to me I love that because it's it's the the idea that the past isn't really gone and home is not quite as far away as you ever think that it is.
1: Very true. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a good place to to end on
0: to to close up for tonight it is a it is a cold um winter advisory evening uh, for much of the Ozarks not all of it but for much of the Ozarks and uh, I think that's a great place to conclude
1: I do too I hope everyone enjoyed if you if there's anything that someone wants us to talk about let us know and we will see you back here next Wednesday
0: absolutely thank you all and thank you Lisa and Alex
1: yep he says yeah (laughs) thanks Josh and thank you everyone